Koite Arapuru Sounds. E ngā mana, e ngā reo, e rauranga tēnā koutou katoa. You're listening to Hereo Tawhito, a podcast for Sound Centre for New Zealand Music, Toi Te Arapuoru, ko Crystal Edwards Ahau. It's been a great honour to speak with some of the leading experts on Ngā Mō Teetea in Aotearoa. Today, I'm talking with Ariana Tikau. Taka kataka kataka te motoi Takina ki te whetu Tēnā koe, tēnā korua, me ki tēnā koutou katoa e whakarongo ana mai. Ai, ko Ariana Tikau tōku ingoa, ko te poho tamatea, te mauka, ko whakaraupo, te moana, ko kaitahu, te iwi, ko kātire kehu, te hapu, no te rohe o te pātaka rākai hautu, ana ko horomaka. Uh, I tipu ake au i, I Ōtautahi. Um, hi, so, yeah, I come from Ōtautahi, from Christchurch, but uh, my on my father's uh, dad's side, on my poa's side, we're from Rapaki Marae, uh, which is around the Littleton Harbour, and um, on his mum's side, we were from, uh, we're from the beautiful place of Akaroa, and uh, Ōnuku Marae is our um, papakainga there. And um, yeah, so a lot of my um, mahi comes from that rohe or that puna, the tēnā koutou. Tēnā nō koe e hine awa, kia koe ki tō uri hoki o, o ngai tahu tēnā koutou, tēnā koe hoki. Well, um, Ariana, tuatahira, uh, nā rere te tua hine, um, he mārama, mārama nā koe ki tēnei kaupapa, uh, he reo tawhito anā ko te mōtētea tēnā. Uh, so we'd like to thank you first of all. Uh, to share your whakaro, to share your perspectives and in your involvement and contribution to our beautiful traditional art form. Nā rere e te tuahine, hei tuwhira i a tāua nei, just to start us off e te tuahine. When you hear that kupu, that beautiful traditional kupu, old kupu, mō tētea, ne? When you hear that kupu, what does that mean to you, Ariana, as a um, as an artist? I guess ki au nei Ngā waiata tawhito, uh, ngā waiato o ngā tūpuna, ngā tipuna rānei. Um, ai. So in, in my whakaro, um, yeah, it's a, a whole body of of works really. Um, you know, sung poetry could be one way of expressing mō tiatea. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult to um, encapsulate in, in a short time frame but yeah I've been listening to the 
podcast series and yeah just really appreciated hearing the other whakaro around Motiatea. Um, yeah, one thing that I've um, heard about is that traditionally uh, they were our laments, our waiatatangi, um, but um, they've broadened out, the term has kind of broadened out to encapsulate all of our waiatatawhito. Um, and I see, yeah, in terms of um, current practice, um, sometimes we, we do um, perform old motiatea um, from our tipunas times but also I see new motiatea being um, composed as well and um, part of what I do is to in, be inspired by those you know um, motiatea unga tipuna and um, taking um, what I can or gleaning what I can from those and um, to express them in a new way um, in our rohe, unfortunately, a lot of our uh, motiatea didn't get passed down. Um, and so, yeah, a lot of what I do is try to um, work with written texts and to create new uh, raki for them um, so that they can, you know, breathe, live and breathe again um, and to bring those to a new generation um, and future generations as well. So, um but yeah, I really see that they have a lot of power um, to convey not only our history, but um, our cultural values, um, our spiritual values as well. Um, telling these amazing stories of, of tipuna, um, whakapapa, um, and yeah, just sometimes, um, yeah, they're really... Um, they hold keys to unlocking the emotion of, of what people experienced um, in the past from, from the time that they came from. Um, and yeah, I've experienced that myself in in interesting ways sometimes. Uh, I don't know if you wanna talk if you want me to talk about one example of that. Um, so I kohonawa ki kia Ross Kalman he uri o, o Ngāti Raukawa o Ngāti Toa hoki um, me uh, itahi uh, tātai ki uh, kaitahu hoki um, yeah, so yeah, my partner Ross um, went to the Wānango Raukawa many years ago and um, he learnt a, a whole lot of motetea from that iwi um, from that rohe when he was there and um, yeah, on one occasion, I was happy with my first um, pepe at that time, um, so Matahana, who's now 23 years old. Um, and we were driving out around Banks Peninsula and we're driving around um, to go to a hui at, at Onuku Marae. And um, so he was teaching me um, the motiatea takotorawa hihoki te pō. Um, yeah, which is relating to um, a survivor of a battle. Um, and yeah, I think um, as far as I know, um, the composer um, was the sole survivor of this pakanga. And so it was kind of like a witnessing of, um, of the um, destruction, I suppose. And um, yeah, all of the mamai that they felt at the time and 
yeah, I had quite a, a strong reaction um, to that motiatea when we were driving past Ōnawe, which um, is a site of um, of our um, some of our pakanga um, around um, that area of the Akaroa Harbour. Um, yeah, so I, I actually just started weeping at, at that point as we passed that area and um, I had to ask Ross to stop the car so that I, I could just kind of um, settle myself. And I think, yeah, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. I think, um, yeah, one, one was the power of, of the motiatea itself um, and the kōrero associated with it. Um, but also, yeah, being hapu, you know, I was ultra sensitive to um, te awairua, I think, at that time as well. And, um, yeah, just I'm crying now, just remembering that. Um, but, yeah, really, um, it, it just unlocked for me, you know, yeah, that, uh, that kind of like portals, I think, to, to the past. Um, and yeah, I think there was an association as well with um, with the um, mamai and um, you know the the things that had happened at that place in the past as well. Um, yeah, there's another uh, short motia there that is associated with that place that um, that I've since uh, composed rangi for as well that um, that we can talk about. But yeah, I don't know if if you want to go into more around that. That corridor at all. Oh, te though, uh, um, and you know, funny that you're talking about how um, Motetia can move us because with our previous interview, you know, it was me who was shedding the tears from receiving the corridor from our, our kai uiwi. So uh, I totally understand like how the vibration and the frequency of when we get delivered a motetia from a tangata, it does. Wow. Eh? It triggers that kind of connection without us even realising it. And I must say, I... So yes, very sensitive. Uh, you know, would have done some definite emotional jigging in there. Uh, but um, thank you, thank you for sharing that um, experience of uh, your uh, connection that you've had with, of course, Motete at such a personal level. Thank you. Do you feel that there's a um, there's something special about Motete compared to other? genres of music that you may have been involved in? I think for me personally um, yeah, I gain a lot from looking into motiatea um, in terms of identity you know um, and exploring um, for me you know what it is to be a kaitahu wahine and um, yeah because there's such strong connections with our tipuna and um, sometimes of Purako as well associated uh, with some of our um, special places as well. Um, I think, yeah, for me that that's played a big part in why I've become so interested in Motiatea um, and also yeah, in my um, other life outside of my um, artistic um mahi that I do. Um, yeah, I've also had a career in libraries and archives um, and so yeah I've been really lucky to uh, come across um, you know, written texts um, that have been passed on um, either through whānau but 
often through Pākehā scholars as well and um, you know, collectors of, of our um, traditional kōrero. And so, yeah, I worked at the Alexander Turnbull Library for nine years um, and just left that role um, a couple of years ago to pursue my, my creative mahi. But, um, yeah, during that time I um, was really fortunate to have access to some writings and um, recordings as well. But also, yeah, it was a, a joy to be able to share those as well with, with others, especially um, connecting with Udi that are associated with them. Yeah, I think they can be really empowering for us to, to have access um, to the kōrero and, um, you know, sometimes it, it might take time for people to be ready to look into to them and, yeah, I've found that with ones relating to my own whānau that, you know, that just at the right time, you know, you'll, you'll go back to them. What a blessing though, Ehoa. What a blessing to be in such a massive role like that, to be surrounded by all that text. I now understand, as you, because you did say that, that that's where a lot of your, um, you know, inspiration and where a lot of your um, kōrero come from, from the text. And because when you had sort of said that, I kind of went, oh no, I'll just leave it there. But now that you've explained where your mahi led you to, I was like, oh, how beautiful. Because I reflect on what Hana Regan was saying, you know, around, um, especially for Ngaitahu Motetia, um, that only one, one Ngaitahu Motetia um, uh, made it to Ngā Motetia editions, you know, so for you to be in that role and surrounded by extra texts of your tipuna, of Ngā tipuna, or Ngaitahu, oh, ete hua, what a absolute fortune, which does kind of lead us up to our next part by um, Ete Hoa, is that um, being involved at um, Turnbull Library and that, did you come across, um, I guess, any key motetia composers um, that kind of like impacted you on your journey to your artistry as a musical um, composer? Um, yeah, I worked on the collection of um, the writer James Cowan, and James Cowan actually, um, yeah, he interviewed my great grandfather, um, Tione Tare Tiko, and um, yeah, I was really fortunate to to um, have access to his writings and um, yeah, they were his working papers really, and yeah, there were particular ones associated with Aurohe. Motetia within it, but also a lot of um, kōrero that were recorded at the time as well and later published um, in some books like um, uh, Māori Folk Tales of the Port Hills was one that um, was based on interviews with, with my poa Tionitare Tiko and um, there's also yeah, a big collection of um, papers and uh, kōrero in, in the Hocken Library in Dunedin um, and yeah, my poa um, also contributed motetia to that collection. Um, so yeah, whenever I go down to Otipoti, I try and have a little bit of extra time to go and visit those. Yeah, also in, in the Turnbull Library, um, there's the collection of Alston Best, um, and yeah, my poa wrote to him and um, wrote a lot of kōrero around mahinga kai and... Um, yeah, those kinds of things. But yeah, we're just really fortunate, I think, in our whānau to, to have those writings that we can go back to. What a beautiful, beautiful fortune to have amongst you at Te Hoa. So just all staying around like that, kōrero there, what are some of the key um, mōtetia for you, for you personally? 
Um, so, yeah, one of them that I actually kind of discovered during that mahi with um, looking through James Cowan's papers um, was one associated with that kind of the raid on Onawe Pa. Um, and, yeah, this was in uh, January 1831 that that happened. And it was around the, towards the end of the uh, Ngāti Toa wars and, um, yeah, the uh, Te Raupurahas, um mission to, to take over Te Waipaunamu. Um, and, yeah, so this was a, a short um, motiatia associated with, um, it was kind of similar to that other one I talked about before where it was a survivor um, talking about the impact of what they'd just been through. Um, and, yeah, this particular one came from one of our tipuna wahine puai. And, um, yeah, she's, um, her and her son both spoke to James Cowan, um, would have been later on actually, or maybe it was just her son, um, George Robinson Tioti Rapitini that, that spoke to him and passed this on to him. But um, yeah, I wrote a, a rangi for it um, so that it could kind of be you know, brought into the present and the story could um, survive and be passed on. So yeah, I could sing that for you if you like. Um, yeah, it's just a quite a short one, but I've I've written it in kind of a partire style um, with quite a rhythm to it. So I think just the the kupu lent themselves to to uh, an urgent kind of delivery, I suppose. Yeah. So this is Tene Pori Ki Onawe. Tene pori ki o nga we whakariri ngā kau Titira mai o matakia E noho taurere nei Huna rawa te konohi kei pihau tangohia Ka mate au ki taku tangata Beautiful, Ewa. Anone te reka. Pārekareka, Ewa. Beautiful. Um, yeah, and I, one of the reasons why I was drawn to to this particular one as well was um, another one of my tipuna. Wahine was a survivor of, of that raid as well, of Ōna West, so it um, feels like a connection to her as well. No, thank you for sharing that, Ewa. Beautiful, beautiful, Ewa. And you were saying that, um, my koe, that um, you know, connection, you know, with this. And then, my give us a, just, if you could just elaborate a little bit more around that, Ewa. Yeah, it's similar to what I was saying before in terms of um, that I feel that Motiatia can be a key to connecting with with the actual emotion of of what was felt at the time during these experiences and they're always kind of around um kind of heightened experiences often with they're relating to tangi or um or an intense feeling of, of aroha or mamai um and they're all things that that we relate to as human beings you know um but yeah they're within a, a specific um, Māori context, I suppose, cultural context. Sometimes they'll yeah, also connect with place, you know, like this one does. So, yeah, it, it also, I, I feel in a way, kind of just really, because I currently live away from, from our um, rohe, 
Um, I'm in, in Wellington now, but yeah, singing these way at the Tafito can can just take me to those places, you know. Beautiful. And thank you for sharing how you perceive your connection Also, um, just in relation to that, how, how do you feel that they have influenced um, your music? Yeah, a lot of my music, well, initially I started doing kind of folk music when I first started out um, back in the uh, early to mid-90s um, in a group called Pounamu. And at that time, I was writing quite a broad range of, of different songs. Some of them were like reggae songs and um, some were very sort of folky and um, voice and harmony sort of orientated. Some were chants um, and also um, the kaupapa often were exploring my identity as well around that time. And then yeah, when I started my solo music career, um, in the early 2000s, um, which is probably where um, where a lot of that um, kind of like I um, yeah started exploring different sounds, I suppose, and electronic music, but also I did bring in kind of um, like a, a motiatea style and and chants within an electronic um, setting sometimes as well, and I wanted to move away from the folk sound I suppose at that time but it was always still um an exploration of of my own identity and um kind of yeah I've I've always also tried to where appropriate sing in, in the kaitahu dialect so yeah we're still kind of exploring what that actually is you know because we um we don't have um uh, similar to the motiatea being passed on like our reo was um yeah, lay dormant, I suppose, for um, for in some uh, Fano, it's for within generations, but for, for our Fano, it was only uh, one to two generations of um, dormancy. And um, so in my generation and in our future generations, we're hoping that we'll be able to, you know, raise, raise our tamariki uh, with our real. But um, yeah, and people like Hannah O'Regan have um, have done wonders really with um, with her own tamariki, uh, bringing them up in in Kaitahu dialect. So in terms of yeah, how I have brought them in, I think since because I at that time of my Fire album and Two Year album, which came in two thousand and eight, I was working with Richard Nunns and bringing in Taonga Portal into my music, and I think that also. Uh, strengthened my connection with with our um, the music of our tipuna and those sounds you know that um, that they bring the importance of of the fair I suppose which is kind of like our our old sound world connected to um, the tayal but yeah when you listen to the frequency of tangaporo you know, it connects us also emotionally and within our body in, in certain ways. So yeah, with working with Richard and then starting to play Tonga Portal, I think it's it's taken me further into that sound world and kind of like a it's almost like a state of being, you know, that that can be created. And yeah, I think that has also led me further into more teatea, yeah, because of just really loving those sounds and 
now I'm really enjoying being able to pass that on to others and to help others to understand that that those are taonga for for us and yeah with with my expression of that kind of music I'm often kind of creating new rangi or just it's quite um how would I explain it it's intuitive uh, so yeah nobody has taught me how to do it but it's just something that that comes quite naturally to me to I'll, I'll see um kupu and text and I'll do some um research on on the kaupapa and, and kōrero around those things and then through the the way that the kupu sit on the page sometimes that helps me to to work out how they might sound and but it, yeah it's just something that I think for all of us it's probably within us that we can you know if we just tune in to to our, our whatumanawa then um yeah it's something that probably everybody can do but it's just something for me I just really love doing it. Yeah, you, you're definitely tapping into your, your femininity side with that intuition um, at te hoa. And I, I say a karafua, you know, haere tonu, haere tonu i waka. But just reflecting on what you were just saying, you've brought up like a couple, many elements around your kōrero, but one in particular that kind of captured my um, whakaaro there was how you were saying that when you were working with like electronic sounds and that, did you say that you have had you've done a wayata combining motetea and that electronic sound i was just wondering could you just maybe elaborate a little bit more on that specific composition because that's very interesting one of them that i've done that with is uh, a wayata tafito called pupuhirau and yeah it exists now in, in different forms just you know with vocal form as well um but yeah at the time of my fire album yeah there's a whole lot of stuff going on <laughs> with that and um yeah just rhythms um kind of keyboard sounds and um lots of different instrumentation and also yeah backing vocals and kind of it's it's quite a big <laughs> production I suppose in terms of um yeah what it originally was but yeah it's a more theater that was passed on to me by one of our whānau, Kei Matua, um, who's now passed away, uh, Ricky Pitama. And um, yeah, Ricky uh, was a, a scholar of, of our whānau traditions. And um, yeah, this particular one, the rangi that he taught me, um, I'm pretty sure he made up that, that rangi or raki to it. And yeah, when he talked about it, he, he liked to talk about the the sound of kind of like a, a yodeling, I suppose, or um, just being in the mountains, you know, in terms of yeah, why he chose to um, to bring this particular raki to it. Um, but so yeah, and I just thought it would sound quite cool with <laughs> with within this other sound world, I suppose, um, when I was doing my fire album, and yeah, the the kaupapa of it links us back to um, Te Moana Nui Akiwa and um, our whakapapa um, to uh, one of the kupu is uh, Rakiatea in, in the Motiatea. Um, but for me, it's the kaupapa is about the cycle of life. Um, so it can be sung in a variety of different um, settings. 
yeah, often I'll, I'll sing that one and as a waiata totoko for a kōrero or, yeah, that's, that's one that is quite um, important to our whānau. And, we, yeah, we did, um, my cousins and I did a, a whānau um, album to to be able to record some of our whānau waiata and this is on it. And so there's, um, there's a whakapapa chant that the tāne do amongst the, the singing part that the wahine do as well on some of the recordings. But um, yeah, pupuhiro, um kind of it starts with the image of a, um, a leaf falling from a tree. And so that to me is talking about the, the sacrifice of the rāko um, in terms of what it is giving up, you know, for the growth of the next generation. So, yeah, we can kind of take that from for ourselves as, as being kind of like, yeah, the new generations um, coming on from, um, yeah, when maybe one of our kaumatua passes away, but then, you know, we'll always, um, that will always follow with the next generation coming on. Um, and yeah, so the second part of the motiatea relates to uh, procreation and, um, and new life. Blessed, blessed to be a part of it. And just once again, sorry, reflecting back on what you were just saying too, because the other part that I captured was that where you're sort of been leading up to lately, which is of course incorporating Tanga Puro, you know, and Motetea as an artist in there. Could you share a little bit more around that Hiringa Ehua? Yeah, I feel like Tanga Puro has become such a big part of my life now. And yeah, I do feel really blessed to to have met um, people along the way um, who have supported me. So Richard was one um, who mentored me in, in my playing, but also Brian Flintoff, who uh, was part of the uh, revival from from the start as well with Richard and Hedini Melbourne. And, yeah, so Brian, when I first met him, he asked me if I could play and, and I said, oh, no, <laughs> that that I was just, you know, working within the space but not as a player. And then so he showed me how to get a sound on a kōwowo through first of all whistling into it and then just repositioning the, the angle of the taonga and then, yeah, the voice sort of comes through. So, yeah, that, that was a really huge um, blessing for me to to be introduced to um, the portal. And I think also, um, unfortunately, yeah, they are sometimes um, yeah, portrayed as being difficult to play or, or that you need to be an expert to play them. And there's a lot of mystery around them. And so, yeah, I think now a lot of us are just trying to talk about the accessibility of them and you don't have to have a whole array of carved port or anything. It's, it's not really about the look of them. It's more about the, the order 
in the sound. And um, so, yeah, I encourage people to to go down to the river and to gather tumutumu, like um, got some here, these little river stones. Um, yeah, so this these ones actually came from around Birdling's Flat, which is close to the marae at Wairiwa, which is another one of our marae on the way out to Banks Peninsula to Horomaka. And um, so these kohatu, I, I had these at a, a wānanga pōro at um, Te Papa one time and um, in a kaumātua there, talked about how they would have originated in the moka and the mountains and, you know, they might have been huge boulders at one point and they just over millennia, you know, they came down the river and um, were shaped into what they are now. And he he talked about kind of that that I was kind of uh, held the emoji now within um, within my hands. And um, so that really made me appreciate what they are more, you know, associated with our connection to Papa Tuanuku and all of our other atua associated with um, with kohatu. And so, um, yeah, and you can um, just, yeah, when you're tapping, you can um, change the, the ahua of your hand in terms of the cupping of the hand, and that changes the... Um, the pitch um, so you can kind of create a bit of a conversation with them um, and these can also be used um, for rhythm w- within motiatea so yeah I could do another one for you which um, is one that I've also written a new raki for um, and this is called Titi Whakatai Arorua um, and it's a, a kōrero that came from those interviews with James Cowan with our tipuna with Tione Tare Tika. And um, the kōrero around it was that um, that the titi lived in the, the moka um, above Akuroa. Um, and yeah, there was there was also, they were the homes of the um, Patupairehe. Um, and yeah, Poa talked a lot about Atupairi here being associated with, with some of our places around Banks Peninsula and Horomaka, um, particularly, you know, uh, when the mist um, was there, Hinepu um, Kohuraki was present. Um, they were particularly a time when um, you know, the Patupairi who might um, come through. And um, there was a, a wahine that fell in love with a patsupaira here, and she w- was the one that um, that wrote the kupu as a plea for um, the, the titi to return because the patsupaira here were blamed for eating too many titi. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's the story associated with this one. And I actually wrote it as a challenge by... Um, an Irish dancer who I was working with in a band called Emeralds and Greenstone and um, she wanted to create an Irish dance to a Māori chant and so that was the origin of of why I wrote it in this way um, which is quite rhythmic and um, you you can imagine the beats of of dancing to it as well Um, but also yeah more recently um, since I wrote it it became a a waiata poi for our um, Fano Kapahaka group at, at Onuku. Ki 
that's amazing, Ewa. Oh my god, look, that is three lots of motete there with your different infusions of oro behind it. It's amazing oh my god Ewa. Not, i just can't believe this is yeah oh my god tena queer ariana wow just oh, okay come back to our cope just come back um with those two waiata there that you've just shared with us um etewa, and you know taking it back from you know the oro infusing those um different genres those um everything into the uh, motetia what do you feel was um, the role, the main role of Mōtietia in those two works? Yeah, I think in terms of the kōrero of that particular one, you know, it was it was written in, in, within the context as a, a plea for the titi to return. And so I can imagine that the wahine, we don't know who she was, but um, I can imagine her you know, going to to those places and, um, you know, it could have been kind of like a karanga style or something out to um, to actually generate the, the modi, you know, in the place to call upon those titi to come back. Um, it was probably um, some of our whanauka who, who were eating too many rather than the patipoiri. <laughs> so maybe she should have been talking to them. But, you yeah, know, another thing that it reminds me of is that often we... Um, now we we see things from our own current perspective and environmentally, you know, we see things. Um, we don't really look back enough in terms of the the species that would have been in places at at different times, and yeah, just to just know that there were titi, you know, on the mainland on Te Waipounamu, not just on the the titi islands, which we now associate it um, associate the birds with. But yeah, they they were present in other lots of other places around the motu as well. And so yeah, I think that can also help us think about kind of environmental impacts of of our farming and, and different ways that we live on the Fenua. And so yeah, it can be a tohu as well to to research those older kōrero and to know what was there naturally and then think about maybe what we can do to to bring them back. And, yeah, one of the ways I found out about this particular one was through my um, my papa. He um, was the chair of our marae at the time and um, he gifted the, the kupu to a local environmental project who had set up um, a, a predator-proof fence um, around this area um, to protect the cliffs where the TT have started coming back so so that yeah it really kind of made me quite interested in in this particular one which is why I created the, the Raki for it to to revive it but yeah there's a very kind of real connection with with our whenua as well to to think about ways that we can support those kind of um, initiatives as well. Um, you know, I, I'm just sitting here in, a, in admiration of you, um, because, you know, you're taking motetia not just for its face value, you know, and, and especially being from Waitahu, you know, um, with not, um, I guess, being as fortunate as some of us iwi up in the north here, you know, where we have like a little bit of a lineup where we can kind of reflect on. You've had to, um, like you said, touch into your intuition. 
you know, um, drive it through other genres and get inspired um, that way, get their waihanga rangi, you know, to get your rangi going and stuff like that. So uh, just sitting here in absolute admiration of you as an artist, um, a musical artist who who genuinely finds real connection um, to Moteta and, and, and creating it as you go as well, Etewa. So we, I thank you, Etewa. You know, you're, you're an inspiration to our young, to our rangatahi, te whai i te rā ara, and, and, and not to be afraid. Not to be afraid of it, you know. I, I, we, there is a tendency where we kind of fakatapunya, motetia, and, and and some of our traditional practices, like even taonga puoro, um, and that you know, like gone are the days now where we look at taonga puoro as adornments of our house. You know, it's like, can you pick that up and, and, and give it a bit of life, you know? Hey, you know? So, um, yeah, at the hua, you're just sort of yeah, just sitting here in a little bit of admiration for you, um, of you and your mahi there, te hua. I think, yeah, then maybe that's a positive in terms of the the situation that we found ourselves in, that, that we don't have kind of the, we don't have anyone to tell us how it goes. And so, yeah, we have to just work it out for ourselves. So, you know, that might be kind of the glass half full view of it, you know, that, that it leads to creativity. That's what I'm saying, I suppose. No, actually, that's a very positive way of looking at it. Etewa, tino pai, tino pai tera ara, tino pai, tino pai roatu. Just some, um, actually, I was just reminding myself that, of course, you have sent some wayata um, through of your compositions as well. Um, kia tato nei, kia matau nei, um, key sounds. I was just wondering, would you like to sort of like direct some of that, um, the kōrero to those compositions, Etewa? So, yeah, one that I'd like to talk about is in our... Um, orchestral version of it um, is called Kote Tātai Fetu and um, this piece was a, a work that I um, co-composed with um, Phil Brownlee um, and I think you know Phil <laughs> who is also involved with this series so koe, te hoa. and yeah this was a project that was initiated through the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra it was back in uh, 2015 was the the year that we um, first performed it, but the year before that was when we started working on it. And it was something that um, initially was going to be um, a project that Richard Nunn's worked on with Phil Brownlee, um, but Richard's health was, was starting to decline further. And so uh, because he had been mentoring me at that time, uh, Richard and his manager, um, decided to offer me the opportunity to work on it with Phil and so yeah, it was something that I hadn't really thought about working with orchestras um, or within that world so it's a very new world for me and um, so I was a little bit scared <laughs> of you know going there but I think yeah I guess it's it's just something that I feel that when I'm offered an opportunity to um, to stretch myself in, in new directions that, you know, if possible, I'll try and give it a go. And so, um, yeah, when initially I started meeting with Phil about it, we had no kind of concept or, or idea of what we were going to do, really. And um, so I played um, my taukapuro to him and he recorded them and, and at least kind of had some knowledge of, of what my instruments sounded like and how I played them because everybody plays them differently. 
And then, yeah, I um, remember this motheatea that the text is down in the Hocken Library, and it's a motheatea that came from my poa, Tioni Tare Tikao, and gave to Eris Beatty at the time when he was being interviewed in the 1920s. Um, so, yeah, Poa um, was born in 1850, and um, so it was a time of huge changes. So, and his parents were influenced by Christianity, and um, so his um, papa was um, Tamati Tika, or Pukuro was his, um, you know, his whānau name initially. And they sent him to train as a tohunga or tohuka with our with two of our tohuka from Banks Mansion from that area. Um, so he spent about 10 years of his childhood learning our traditions. And at that time, he, he may have learned um, this particular one, but also I think later on in life, he um, went to a lot of, of wānaka as well. And because um, he was an intellectual, um, he would have had a lot of time doing these kind of wānaka with other people who were interested in our yeah, tipuna's ways. And so this particular one, I've actually kind of yeah, worked with the kupu and I wrote three different sections to it in terms of the, the raki for it. And the first, well, the, the whole kaipapa is around hinetitama and tāne and hinetitama be, um, becoming aware that Tane, her husband, is also her father. And then at that time she, it was a shock to her, I suppose, and so she went into the underworld and transformed herself into hinenui te pō. And in this motiatea, uh, Tane comes to where she is at Potuteraki, and he wants her to come back. But she um, says to Tane, "No, I'm, I've got a job to do here. I'm going to stay here. But um, you take our children and um, bring them up in the world of light." And then she also says, "And yeah, on your way back." <laughs> I want you to do this, um, so to adorn Raki with all of the stars and constellations, and then she goes through and names a lot of our stars, and yeah, so it's a it's a tātai for for Ngāwhetu. So yeah, in our version, we've called it called the Tātai Fetu, but in the original one, it was um, on the manuscript. It's just called Kanohoatane, which is the the first bit of the first line. Um, so, and I know other people at the, the Kaitahu Fano down at um, Te, te Mananga or um, Otako, has, they did a different version of it back in the 90s, I think. But yeah, I, for my version, I, I just, yeah, because I was working in a different context or uh, working with an orchestra as well, it's in three different parts. The first part, is uh, setting the story so it feels to me more like a, a storytelling kind of vibe telling the story up to a certain point when when she is in in the underworld and then um, the next part is is her kind of asserting her mana wahine and telling Tane to hey no you go off and this is what you do and so it's kind of like for me yeah it's like a, a to-do list <laughs> Yeah, this is these are all the jobs that you got to do, and so yeah, at that time it's kind of like a, a more of a pace and yeah, more of a rhythm to it. And then 
in that part, it's also talking about some of the star names, but the third part is much slower and more contemplative. Um, it's also naming different stars, but it's, for me, it's kind of like looking up into the night sky and kind of like there's a lot of breath and space in between each one. But yeah, it's just, for me, it's kind of like the vision of, of looking up into the stars and and breathing and um, admiring, you know, the, the beautiful job that Tani did um, and that he listened to his wahine. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that um, rendition on, on how you put that uh, together. Kōrua tahi ko Phil. I wear tokiri e Phil. Phil's been actually mentioned quite a few times today. So, yes, no, kāngui te mihi ki tō tātou nei uh, matua, ki tō tātou nei hoa. I feel brownly So just sort of um, reflecting on you as a, um, a musical artist, a composer, a bit of a practitioner in that area um, as well, and, and, and especially when your mahi is taking you now um, and, and infusing more theatre um, a little bit more into your works and that. Do you know of any other um, more tetia uh, that have been composed and, and performed today and um, and why uh, why they're being composed and performed today. Yeah, there's one that I've done that I recorded with an album I did with Al Fraser and yeah, it's a lament called Kataka Te Motoi and this one was kind of a, yeah, it's mixed in terms of uh, some of the kupu I've added and some of them are traditional kupu from Apakura and um, and also yeah, some of the vocabulary were from other motiatea or waiatatangi from, from our area as well and um, yeah, when I started kind of researching the kaupapa of some of the kupu and yeah it touched upon a whole lot of older kōrero and pūrāko, which I found really quite fascinating. You know, in, back in the day, we would have had, um, uh, I suppose, most people who were present listening to the mōtiatea would have some knowledge of, of those old kōrero. You know, um, I suppose, like, might be, you know, the, the equivalent might be now, yeah, the either popular culture references or or fairy tales, you know, that so that would be well known, you know, the the references. So in this one, at, at one point, the lyrics talk about kuatukuna kirarora te waka orata, and so that one relates to uh, the first part of that um, goes kohika te tōtara i te waunui and so it's referring to the tupapaku lying in within the casket, I suppose, being like a waka. And yeah, that made me look into uh, Rata's kōrero around, you know, why he was searching for, you know, the the place where his um, why he had to build the waka in the first place. And yeah, it, it's just. Yeah, there's just so much matauranga behind each little part of, of different motiatea. And so, yeah, when I'm singing those kind of motiatea, then I am kind of evoking and, and really thinking about all of that that goes behind it, not just kind of a, on a surface level. 
and also the the next verse here mentions some of our kupu around kind of like terms of endearment but also what we hold to be precious um and so yeah within this that verse it, it mentions um te kuru tokarerewa which is kind of like a precious tauka made of pounamu um like a, an ornament and so it's referring to the person who has passed as as being that precious to you but yeah the start the beginning part of it is, is something that I've heard a lot but I I couldn't find the origin of where it actually came from in terms of the um taka kataka kataka te motoi takina kite fetu takina kite marma so um yeah I think there's there's other kupu that are used but I've incorporated a kaitahu kupu for for the kind of like grabbing hold of couple couple here was takina for for us yeah and it actually yeah, I started writing it um, for the the time of burial of my Tani's uncle who yeah, passed away and he he knew that he was going to be dying and so he asked, he kind of, yeah, arranged his, his own tangi in a way and knew what he wanted. So um, he asked if, if I would do something at, at the nehu, the time of burial. And so um, the first half of it was sung at that um, occasion for Kevin Jarrett's tangi and then the second half of it was just written a bit later on and it's yeah it also just adds further to it but yeah so the the first part relates to that that this feather is like um floating down similar image to that um pupuhiro yeah but you can't grasp it, you know. It's it's like when you've lost somebody that you just you know want want to be able to hold them again, but they're out of your reach. Um, so they've they've been taken. And the next one, yeah, relates to that that image of the in the forest, Antanias forest, that the um, the torta has fallen, and then yeah, talks about Te Wako Rata. So that's the the Tupapaku lying in, in state. The next one relates to yeah, just there, there you are, my precious, um, my yeah, my kuru tokarewa, um, my um, heart is beating in my chest, and yeah, my my heart is is kind of like lacerated, kahaya te manoa, owe taki owe, and then the next one relates to yeah, Ross's um, uncle who uh, was influential in the brass band movement in Aotearoa. And so this kind of refers to his legacy that he left behind. So I've used, you know, that well-known line, ma wai e taurima, um, so who will um, now replace you uh, in that world your, by your, your many students or taurida, um, and this is your legacy um, that you've left us. So. Taka kataka kataka te motoi takina kite fetu takina kite marama takina kite ata Oh, 
Beautiful. You know, very simple kupu there, but you can really hear the depth, the depth of kōrero um, in that uh, etewa. And thank you, thank you for that whakamarama around etera uh, waiata. Um, oh, beautiful, absolutely stunning etewa. I was just um, also reflecting um, as you were singing there too, um, especially which with you mentioning that Laitahu, uh, you know, I kind of like a little, like you said, a bit of a fortunate position where um, ahakoteti or na waiata use are more free and, and able, you know, to to raweke, have a little bit of a raweke. Uh, with our moti, with motetia um, these days, without the um, I guess the pressures of oh you know katika terere, katika terangi, katika tika, you know all of that kind of stuff behind it. But with saying that, Ewa, do you do you feel that motetia compositions um, today are, are facing any issues? Um, I think one of the main ones for me is. Um you know, actually really understanding the the depth of the kōrero and I'd love to have more people that I can wānaka with because um, my reo, you know, it's not my first reo. <laughs> and so there are a lot of more tia tia that and I've discovered more and more recently and um, from our iwi. Uh, I think there's a real need to, to pull together people who who are knowledgeable so that we can can really understand ourselves you know the the depths of the kōrero and those multiple layers of kōrero you know behind the kupu as well yeah and recently yeah my cousin who uh, Kelly Tikal who she's done a um, PhD on on our customary birthing practices and um yeah actually that kanoho atane was in that her thesis as a naoriori, so um, that was one of the initial settings for for that particular one. But um, yeah, we've recently been working together with some of our other uh, Fanoka to create a resource for Fano to have access to oriori, and um, we've yeah asked people um, to compose new oriori and to explain their fakaro around the different concepts and kupu. But also, yeah, we've got we've still got a lot of, of our tipuna ori ori that um that we needed more time to to actually um wananga so that um we felt safe to to bring them forward into the marama. Um so we really need to you know put some time and and energy into that process so that um some of those ones will, will also be able to be added to that resource. Beautiful, beautiful. Oh, kanui, kanui te aroha, kanui te mihi hoki ki a koe i tērā o ngā whakautu. Because um, I must say, throughout this whole kōrero, you know, you're definitely um, a living, breathing practitioner or within the music industry of where mō tētia as a genre is going um, in a new direction. You're... You live and breathe it, Etehua, by what you've already previously um, demonstrated with us around how you've infused um, electronic sound through it, tāunga or bringing back our old traditions as new compositions. And so uh, I'd just like to commend you on your mahi um, by just naturally doing it. Like you said, everything you've done is through intuition. So me mihi kātika kia koe 
However, as a composer and performer, um, do you have any uh, future plans that are involving Motetia? Yeah, I work with a group um, called uh, Tararua. We're currently on tour at the moment, just doing a tour with Chamber Music New Zealand. And we have uh, Ruby Solly as a, another kaitahu composer who is part of that rōpū. So we work together quite a lot with creating new waiata now, out of um, sometimes out of old pūrāko and just to generate something new and bring those forward into um, to, yeah, our current generation. But I've also been working a lot with rongoa within the field of rongoa yeah, just within that space of of community well-being as well. And I'm really keen to to see, to put my energy into that context for our motiatea. And often with karakia, I'll I'll also sing karakia because it's the best way for me to to actually be able to remember them. <laughs> so yeah, I think within that world, like there's a lot more that needs to be done, I suppose, and to bring bring a lot of these um, talka back into our community and for our own ceremonies and, and well-being as well. So it's a, a different context to the outward-facing kind of musical life and, and setting for, for what I do, but I'd love to have more time, you know, to dedicate to, to actually working more at the community level in those spaces. Oh, Etehua, I must commend you. you. You're already doing it. Funny that you say that because um, that was sort of like my um, my own little, what do you call it, like a resolution for the year was that to hookia to go back to, you know, singing a motetia day because, you know, I, I love them. I love them so, so much. Um, but with, the, I guess, the rongoa side of things, how you were talking about rongoa, I no longer like you said, same way karakia, I, it just naturally comes out in like a little kind of a chant, you know, like, yeah, so I, I understand what you're saying about how oro or motetea is a form of rongoa for us because, like I said, I've just been doing it for the last six months and, you know, I was like, oh, I should have been doing this years ago, karakia. <laughs> <laughs> we have definitely come to the end of our corridor, our whakawhitinga corridor. I have been, like I said, been sitting here in absolute admiration of you, Etehua, and how intuitively you guide yourself into your musical journey and infusing more taonga puro and all the genres that you have been exposed to. It's just been an absolutely overwhelming verbal experience here at the Hoa and I just ah oh, I it actually gives me more um understanding to some of the wayata that I used to listen to in the mornings at Radio Kahunguru before we'd go live and then I'm like I I, I get who now I understand why that you know you were composing your wayatas the way you have been. It's just yeah it's like kind of like those light bulb moments ne otira ete tuahine ete wahine tino 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 Do you have any closing um, kupu that you'd like to share with our listeners around motetia and, of course, your contribution to it or, or their contribution to it, anything like that? Yeah, when I was doing my mihi before, I forgot to say that I, I have a hononga also to Ngāti Kahungunu, <laughs> to the Hokianga Fano. So, um, hi, tēnā koe, 
and um, Tēnā koutou <laughs> o te rāi wi hoki. Hi, I just wanted to close with just encouraging people to um, to research their own mōtiatia. Um, if you're lucky enough to actually have kaumātua, you know, who who have been um, taught within their whānau, within your whānau, I encourage you to go and to spend time with them and to to learn from them while you can. Yeah, because that um, that's kind of irreplaceable, you know. But if you don't have that, there's still ways that, that we can haere tonu and to learn but also to reinvent in a way to bring them into our present and into our lives um, for the benefit of our whānau. Hi, tēnā koutou. Tēnā tōku kura Tafito, a podcast from Sound Centre for New Zealand Music, Toe Te Arapuoru, presented by me, Crystal Edwards, with today's guest, Ariana Tikau. The Waiata in today's podcast were Tēnei Pori Ki Onawe, performed by and thanks to Ariana Tikau, Pupuhido, performed by and thanks to Ariana Tikau and the Tikau Fano. Titi Fakatai Arorua, performed by and thanks to Ariana Tikau. Katakate Motoi, performed by and thanks to Ariana Tikau with Al Fraser. And Kote Tatai Fetu, thanks to Ariana Tikau and Philip Brownlee, performed with the Christchurch Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Benjamin Northey. Thanks to series producers Tony Huata and Roger Smith. Sound engineer Phil Brownlee. Research by Te Ahukaramu Charles Royal. Production assistance from Jonathan Ingle and Ngahuia Maniapoto. Marketing, Leonay Fenta. And executive producer, Diana Marsh. Thanks to Adrian Tangaroa Wagner and Te Upoko Oteika. And thank you to our sponsors, Te Taurawhiri Te Reo Māori, Recorded Music NZ, and Creative New Zealand Toi Aotearoa. And thank you for listening. For more information about this podcast and the music of Aotearoa, go to the Sounds website, sounds.org.nz. That's S-O-U-N-Z. Nō reira, tēnā koutou, 
tēnā koutou, tēnā tātou katoa. Toi te arapuru, sounds.